Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. It's good to be uh, with you this uh, Christmas or Christmas Eve to be more specific. So we'll jump in today. I get to close out the uh, Advent series for us over joy. So we're going to read uh, from Luke 2. Uh, verses 1 through 14. I think we've tethered ourselves here a couple times in this series, but uh, you can't really go wrong with this one. So Luke 2, 1 through 14 says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus uh, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration where Quirinius was governor over Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him with swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. In the same region, there were shepherds out in a field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, behold, I bring you, here it is, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. Um, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and, and on earth among those whom with whom he is pleased. This is uh, the word of the Lord. So it, it's been normal for us uh, for quite a few years in a row to pause our normal preaching rhythms to stop the the series that we are in, in order to align ourselves with uh, really thousands upon thousands of other believers, not just in Missouri or in the U.S., but all over the the globe to celebrate the season of Advent as a a church body with a a large church body all over uh, the world. And for us in doing this, we're celebrating a season that simply means Advent means coming. So this series is, is pretty singular in focus. It's not broad at all, even though we're hitting it from different themes uh, of joy and peace and, and hope and whatnot. The singular focus that we're spending all of this time on is the coming of Christ, how the first advent or coming speaks into our lives now. And then here's the beauty. When you look at the first coming, it also points to the second coming, how it speaks into our lives, into uh, the future as well. And I fielded some questions over the years, and I've heard other people ask other people in the church and not inside our church, why in the world does a church spend an entire month over the birth of Jesus? Like four sermons, man. Like you're beating that drum a lot over and over and year after year, just focusing on the birth of Christ. I mean, we, we get it. Why are you doing that so much? And kind of as Harrison put it in week two of Advent, we're doing this for a very specific reason because your heart and, and mine, I can speak for myself, mine need it. There's this spiritual amnesia that's always seeming to be knocking at the door for us. What do we have going on in what I call the holiday gauntlet? We have a million festivities. Uh, if you're like me, last minute presents to go 
by. You have different priorities, different events, different things that you have to do and keep track of. And maybe you have family dynamics. You got to keep in control and kind of deal with all of that. So you have all of this stuff going on and it's pulling all of your attention. So Advent stands as a way that we intentionally focus back on Christ and we tether ourselves to the news that that Christ has come. And the thing that I I hope that your heart and mind would hear is what we want to really look at today is the reality that God didn't leave you. There's so much fear internally about being left alone or standing alone or on our own and nobody knows and nobody cares, God did. And he showed it through the advent. He came, the rescuer has come. The hero stepped into creation and that's why we get to celebrate the beauty of advent. Now this news of Christ coming, it reorients everything about our life. Scott preached about it in week one. It gives us a hope in just a wild world. Harrison preached that the the Advent gives us the ability to feel the profound love of God who would not let us stay broken in our sin, and he breaks even generational curses of sin because he wouldn't let us stay broken. Clayton preached last week that also Advent gives us this deeper form of peace than just two parties not warring for a moment. There's this complete reconciliation that gets fleshed out in our heart because of Jesus coming, and in our time today, we'll focus on how Advent brings us joy. I think our hearts, even though, like, I'm, I'm sure you have things going on, and like, maybe as soon as I be quiet, but uh, our hearts need to slow down and deeply hear this. Christ comes, and the reality of Christ coming leaves a, a large amount of joy on the table for you and I, and, and the hope is this morning that we would kind of lay hold of it, that we grab a hold of it. The, 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 the hope for us is simple. Holy Spirit, would you press into our hearts some tangible joy before we go celebrate with maybe our family or friends or other people? And would you make Jesus be worshiped and made much of because of the joy and the goodness that he brings over us? And then we'll go and we'll go do our, our thing. Is, is, that, is that a worthy cause for maybe today? Okay, we'll work on that maybe. Uh, I was gonna give a short sermon. If I can't get at least one amen, I'll just keep going. So you'll learn quick, right? There we go. Already nailed it. Already nailed it. I still got a little more though. Um, One of the wrestles for me with the topic of joy and the way I'm wired, I got a little cynic in me. Uh, When you talk about the joy of the advent, one of the hard parts for me is the mode of entry. Okay, I get it, but how do we get in there? Like, what do we do? Because joy isn't something I can go, okay, guys, real, real quick, one, two, three, joy, and then we just pray and and go home. I wish we could, but, but, but it's not really that simple. And joy isn't really a Christmas present that I have my wife wrap and then I give it with a bow to you and pretend that I wrapped it. Like, I can't do that either. Joy is not as much maybe a, a product as what I consider a byproduct of other things being in place or maybe not being in place. Joy is the culmination of, of other circumstances or other realities that, that sprout into the heart and they, and they kind of present themselves through something else. Maybe I'll flesh that out a bit if that doesn't make sense. We can get really excited over single events or, or single things. Maybe you're a concert person. Right? I remember Clayton talking about their whole family heading to, uh, to, to Kansas City to go to, go to a concert. And I mean, they, they had outfits and they had signs. And I mean, they were, they were ready for it. Maybe it's a, it's a concert or maybe it's a vacation that you have planned or an event that you've had kind of maybe circled or, or, or eared on the calendar for a while. And this kind of singular thing can bring you some short-term blast of excitement, like a shot to the arm, like maybe the emotional equivalent of a, of a five-hour energy. It's not really hard to get maybe a 
a smile or, or an endorphin rush or a bit of excitement out of, out of just the things of life, but joy is different than that. What we have to understand is joy is not meant to be as much of a flash in the pan, you know, that like, and then gone. Joy isn't fickle. In the words of Ecclesiastes, the, the series that we kind of hit pause on to jump into Advent, I don't think joy is meant to be as uh, vaporous, if that's a word. It's not meant to be like, like smoke or wind that just it's here and then it's, and then it's gone. It, it's something stronger. And I'll try and not overplay my hand. Right? Joy isn't this promise of a, of a constant and pervasive maybe smile and, and constant gladness that is just on you all the time. But joy is the, the stronger, longer lasting, more grounded version of happiness. Can we agree maybe with that? It's, it's deeper. Maybe this will be a first. I, I decided uh, this is what the cool kids do to put in chat GPT. Uh, what is joy? And it said, unlike more fleeting emotion, joy tends to be deeper and more sustained than other things. I agreed. I hope we're getting the idea. Joy is bigger and it's deeper and it's more profound and it's more satisfying and therefore it's more valuable. It's much more valuable than hope and it's much more valuable than the short-term blasts of bliss that our world is really uh, acclimated around trying to chase after and therein may be the problem. I'll rope you in with this. We trade short hits of excitement and happiness for long-lasting forms of joy all the time. It's like we can't help it. We just can't resist. In our fast-paced, immediate gratification, quick satisfaction type of world, what I believe the reality is, is we find it difficult to find sprouts of joy uh, coming up out of the ground. Why? Because they were never actually planted. Think about it for a moment. If we think in general forms, right, it breaks down, and I get it, but we're rich, we're smart, we're equipped, we're entertained, more so than, than maybe about uh, any generation before us or as much as any generation before us in all of history, we have so many means available to us. We have so many toys and so many things and so much wealth available to us, wealth uh, as far as experientially, things that we can do and also just things that we can have and all of that stuff that we have more than, than maybe most or all other generations before that promise us a great harvest of joy just has not delivered us the joy that it said that it would. We have a lot and yet the a lot hasn't done what it promised that it would. And with that situation on the backdrop and maybe as the context for today, the words of Luke still stand there beckoning for us to grasp a hold of them. What I hoped for as I kind of looked through uh, this text and kind of prayed over some of this is that we would slow down. It's really easy to read this as the intro before you like, well, kids, we have to do this before we open a present. But it's more difficult to maybe slow down and, and realize this is one of the, this is a, I shouldn't say one of, this is an epic scene in the Bible. And it offers joy and it says, hey, I, I bring you good news of great joy, the angels say. Well, just for some, for the haves and not the have-nots, no, no, no. This fullness of joy is available to all who would believe in the fullness of the child that came. Who is more than just a child, he was actually the savior king. Joy to all who would behold him and lay a hold of him and believe in him. And I almost can't strain enough to show the simplicity and yet the power of this text. 
the moments where the heavens touched the sky or the, uh, the heavens touched the earth as the savior king was born. The moment when God the son put on flesh, this is the incarnation. And it wasn't just one moment that's equal to a, a million other moments and a vast ocean of moments in all of history. This moment was so big that the angels almost couldn't contain themselves. They had to say something. You have to imagine this is not just the way a fiction movie would unroll. You have to imagine this is actually a part of our history unfolding. An angel of the Lord speaks to these shepherds out in a field. I almost imagine an angel that's so excited he can't contain it. He can't keep quiet and he speaks out, hey shepherds, I have the best news that you'll ever hear. Check it out, there's great joy available to you. I don't know if angels say check it out, but I think they probably could. Great joy because of what I'm about to tell you. A child is coming. And the child is actually here. He'll be the savior of all the sons and daughters of God. Do you understand what I'm telling you? The snake crusher is here. The lamb who is actually the lion is actually on the field. The one who will kill death, the one who will break all of the yoke of sin and brokenness over us, he's actually here. The one who will free the captives, the one who will heal and adopt and rename and repurpose and renew is here. It's happening. It's happening. We've been waiting so long for this moment in time when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords will show up and he'll change everything for those who will believe. That's why this is great news of great joy for all who will believe and even all of creation. Why? Because this King who has come sets into motion a work that will fix everything. This child who is born is more than just a child. He's wrapped in cloth in a manger But he came not in pomp and circumstance. He came meek and mild, but don't let that fool you. This lion has teeth. He has power. He has all the power. Actually, all the power that is in heaven and earth is his, and he's here now. The Messiah has come, and he's here, and you haven't been left alone. What gets me is we don't let our imaginations work very much to see this text unfold. Verse 13 says, a multitude of angels burst into praising God. What is a multitude? How, how many is that? Is that like a gaggle? I don't know what a gaggle is. Is it a soccer team? A football team? Is it 100? Is it 50? Is it 250? Like what, what, what is a multitude? In the original language, a multitude is a countless number. Oh, you mean like the guy forgot to count? No, no, no. You can't count that high, right? In, in Abel's words, a bazillion million times 10 came, right? There's a lot. And this scene would have most likely been absolutely terrifying, like thunder and the roar of waters. Like we have to get out of our mind, maybe the scene of a couple angels going like, me, 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 joy to the I don't think that's what happened here. A countless number of angels had been waiting. Like being held back, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. How long had this waiting been going? Well, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. There's a 400-year gap between the last prophecy in Malachi to Jesus actually coming in uh, the, the, the Gospels. Hundreds and hundreds of, of years. Imagine the buildup. This type of anticipation. And all of a sudden, like the dam breaks and it just flies out. The one who even the rocks have been waiting for has come. Think about it for a moment. Winter after winter. Sin 
after sin, fall after fall, burial after burial. The tears of mankind could have surely filled the ocean by this time and all of this waiting proved to not be in vain. Why? Because he's here now. The one that you've been waiting for is here. This is why the angels burst into a praise that, that may have made you pee a little bit. Thunderous volume and praise as the waiting for years and years and years and all the heart's hope culminated in this outburst. I just imagine this ah, praise, like better than any game that you have ever seen and then cutting through the boisterous praise would be glory to God, glory to God, glory to God in the highest. Then it bursts out again, ah, praise and praise and praise, peace on earth, glory to God, why? Peace to the one in whom he is pleased. That last line we maybe overlook sometimes. Peace to those with whom he's pleased. Peace is the object in view, right? But again, to, to whom he is pleased, who is that? Is that just to the baby laying in the manger? I don't think so, because how would that be good news and great joy for all people if it's just the baby that gets the, the joy? This peace that the multitude of angels erupted into praise over was a type of prophetic peace, maybe bought on credit, and it's coming in the future, the full ramifications of it. They were cheering not just because Jesus had come, but because they knew what Jesus' coming would mean and what he was going to do. God had already spoken about it, about his plans to redeem. They're the, the same plans that the Apostle Paul speaks of later, what we call the, the but God plan of Ephesians 2. Man was dead in their sin and broken. What can a dead man do to save themselves? Nothing. Why? Because they're dead. Without hope of fixing themselves, there is no plan, there's no Hail Mary, there's no way that they can fix any of it, but God made a plan to send a Savior to, to pay for their sin. Why? Because God is loving. He did not leave them alone. God didn't let them go. He came after them. If you parse out every other religion all over the, the universe, this is the only one that God comes for you instead of you go for him and, and ask him to do something for you. He comes for you. The hero comes for those who are lost. He didn't let them go, and he sends Jesus to walk down the path of the cross. Jesus had come to live. Yes, he was born, but he was born to, to die and then rise again in such a way that would deliver peace to all who are far off. God sent Jesus to break the hold of the captor over the sons and daughters of God. God had sent Jesus to make peace possible, to reverse the curse of Genesis 3. This is why the angels couldn't contain themselves with epic praise. Because every victory, think about this, every victory that sin and death and the devil had ever won had been brought into question all of a sudden because the possibility for God to bring dead things back to life all of a sudden was here through Jesus. And this birth leads down a path that has on it a point in the future that Jesus comes back again for his second advent. And he says, enough is enough to all sin and pain and brokenness. And he puts all of creation back together to the way it was in the garden. All through this son who was sent, who happened to be born in a barn and laid in a manger. Talk about a plot twist, right? 
We've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this one who would come and be born in a barn. Yep, that one. This is why there was thunderous praise again. God was carrying out the plan to fix what looked like it could never be fixed through sending Jesus into creation. If you believe what the gospel says about how broken things are, and you also believe that God through Christ will put all things back together in that moment, you would have lost your mind cheering as well, thinking we've waited so long. We have hoped so long. We have dreamed so long for things to be put back together. And now the fix is here. The boots are on the ground to make war against the enemy and take back all things that were held captive. This is why joy is available because the Savior came for you. C.S. Lewis says this. It's not a good sermon, I guess, if you don't put a C.S. Lewis quote. This is, that's what Clayton would say, I think. But C.S. Lewis says, in the book, Screw Tape Letters. Part of every misery is, so to speak, the misery's shadow or reflection. The fact that you don't merely suffer, but you have to keep thinking about the fact that you suffer. I not only live each endless day in grief, but I live each day thinking about living each day in grief. Follow me for a minute because I think his insight here is honest and helpful. Lewis nails the fact that misery isn't just some bad moment or event that comes. Misery also stinks because of the suffering that you do mentally and emotionally thinking about the misery faced. It's not enough to face a miserable moment and to have it come and go. It's also a different torture to think about it coming, to think about being in it, to think about not knowing when it'll go away. There's a, there's a whole other level of ter- torture there that you have to marinate, worry, feel anxious, and fear, and wallow in, and relive all over again, moments of misery, all in this joyous place called your mind. If that premise is true, though, and Granted, that's not gospel or red letter, but I think he is on to something that through the human uh, experience we would agree with. If that premise is true, though, can we not also maybe flip the script and turn that on its head? See, the good part of joy isn't just the fullness of joy coming one day. It's also that our hearts get to cherish the reality that it's coming. This is the joy and hope that come that get to start intermingling and we get to do this dance with the reality of what the Lord has doing and what he will do, what we experience now and what we'll get to experience later. What do we get to experience now because of the first advent of Jesus in the here, in the now, in Columbia, Missouri, right now in a gym, we get to experience our adoption and where we stand with God now. We get to experience new hearts available now. We get to uh, live in the reality that we are not left or forsaken. All of that is right now if our trust has been placed in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If we have said, in other words, God, save me. I trust in Jesus for my sin. I can't do it on my own. Jesus, you are my king, my life, my heart, my knee bows to you, not just in word, but in action. You are my king and I want to follow you. Help me. Then all of that is yours now. What's the cool part of it? And it comes with a family. Maybe you don't like your family. It comes with maybe a better family than your other family. Hopefully you think that. See, that part has been bought and it's been paid for and you can lay a hold of it right now, even in the craziness of the holiday. Brothers and sisters, I hope that we get that. There's incredible joy that it's, 
It's yours right now. But wait, right? There's more. The reality that we want to lay a hold of is that there's more coming, though. Advent is beautiful not just because Jesus was born, but it's beautiful because it points to the reality of that he, that he came again for us and that he will split the skies one day and put it all back together. If you're like, Pastor, I don't know, man. That's a lot. That's what all my hope hangs on. The remaining sin that plagues you and I will be dead and gone. You hear that? Because like we... We put on a brave face sometimes, but we see the things that we just can't seem to get rid of. The sin that plagues you and I will be dead and gone. The strife that we have with others, dead, gone. That stomach drop feeling, we begin to have the, 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 the nauseous, oh my gosh moment as you think of something unresolved or undealt with, gone. The tears you cry, the feelings of lostness, the desperate moments, Friends, the anxiety that sends you and I to the floor, the pain of broken relationships, the wake of seeing over and over relationships fail and things break and things hurt, gone. Even the things you hate about your church, gone. Why, how? Because the baby that was born died and resurrected and will come back and reign and rule. And here's the good part when we're going to lead into a voting season again. All earthly leaders will stink and let you down. He won't. The perfect reign of Jesus will come. And on that day, death will die along with its ugly brothers and sisters, envy and strife and malice and pain and shame. They'll be gone. Why? Because Jesus will run them out of town. we keep wondering, man, why do we got to wait so long? Like, why can't we do that now? Understand the Lord is graciously giving more people time to come, right? And it'll all be gone. And us as brothers and sisters in Christ, if our faith is in Jesus, who saw in part before, will now see in full. And in that moment, like the multitude of angels, we will then cry out, glory to God. Glory to God, glory to God in the highest. Glory to the one who came and conquered. Glory to the one who fixed my jacked up heart. Glory to the one who thought that my heart was worth fixing. Glory to the father who didn't walk away. Glory to the the man of sorrows who actually followed through. Glory to the spirit who came and gave me the truth. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. In that moment, we're gonna break out in the praise fully and not just partly. This is what it means to lay hold of the Christian joy during Advent is that you not only experience the joy available now in salvation, but you begin to feed off of and smile in and, and worship in the joy that is the promise given to you that is over the horizon and still coming. See, this is the joy for those who place their faith in the child king who came, who was born over 2,000 years ago, who bore the sin of the world, the one who's worthy to open the scrolls, the one who will bring all who are lost home to the Father. He's never lost one and never will, and the one who will come through. Part of my week involves going to daycare to pick up my youngest, Asher. This is what I kind of thought of in joy. My hope is it's helpful if it lands great. If it doesn't, get another sermon next week. Another Christmas next year. But I, I pick up Asher twice a week and I drive to the house. He's in an in-home daycare to get him. And it kind of looks like this. I drive up, I park, 
you go get your kid through the garage. So I walk up to the garage, there's a little ring doorbell, you hit that, that's the cue for the daycare provider to open the door and for me to pick up Asher after the long day that he has spent there. Uh, each day prior, I think it's just changed, they may have left, but each day for, for, for prior for quite a while, there, there's another father who would come and pick up two of his kids at the exact same time. On many occasions, uh, as I come to the, the garage, the, the kids are, are playing in there already. They have it cleaned out, a lot of toys, different things like that. They're already playing in there. Uh, they're playing with cars. They're running around. And often when I hear, I'll listen and I'll hear the words, Daddy's coming. Daddy's coming. Daddy's coming. And it's said like a statement. It's not a question like, Daddy's coming? No, Daddy's coming. It's a fact in their mind, all of them. And they know that they know that they know pretty soon that little bell is gonna ring and the door is gonna open and the father's gonna be standing there waiting with outstretched arms to pick them up and embrace them. Man, this is exactly what happens. I'll hit that button, enjoy the kids cry out and they're all secretly wondering like, is it my dad? But they're all wondering and then Asher will run into my arms and here's the beauty. He's no longer saying daddy's coming. He just runs, jumps into my arms and he begins to just say daddy, daddy, daddy and he buries his head into my chest for a deep hug and then he looks at me deeply going like, I knew you'd come. You just see in his eyes, I knew the whole time you were coming. Oh, the joy of a kid. It's real and it's large, and here's the parts that I want you to maybe hold on to, because I think there's something to learn maybe from this. Out of that joy, there are different elements that create it. Remember when I said that joy isn't just a product handed, a lot of times it's a byproduct. There is an expectation and an assurance and an arrival. And those come together and pour into this bliss from the little man almost every time. Right? It makes me sad to think of the day that that won't happen anymore, but every time just loses his mind in happiness. But again, note the parts. Expectation resides before the arrival. The expectation is real. He going to come. And the assurance is part that allows him not to be crying and busted up in the meantime. He's not going, is daddy coming? He knows that I'm coming. There's a joy available even before the arrival because there's this hard-headed assurance. Everything else may have stunk today, but dad's coming soon. Then all of that culminates with the full joy of the actual arrival. In the most basic of ways, I just present to you that the return of Jesus is a little bit like this for us. Tell you that there's a joy available to us as a heart of a child if we lay hold of expectation and assurance. Enjoy your presence, open them, smile, wear ugly sweaters, put PJs on, do all of that stuff, but lay a hold of expectation and assurance. I just asked you some just low-hanging fruit questions. None of these are beautiful or well thought out or great, just low-hanging as we wind down. Is there room in your heart and mind for expectation right now? Is there room? What I find for myself is this time of year presses almost everything out if I don't fight to lay hold of something. Is there room for expectation? Are you expecting for God to follow through on what he started? And is the, the reality of that expectation coming out in any way, shape, or form? Is it manifesting it in any self or any way in your life? Or is your holiday season begin to be just so breakneck and fast and Maybe just this time change floored you in a way that it hasn't in the last couple of years. 
and expectation has been hard. I would just tell you, friends, you can lay a hold of expectation again, a type that can maybe stiffen your spine, raise the corner of your lips as you smile and enjoy my father's coming. Daddy's coming. And is there assurance that you're walking in right now that God has loved you by sending Jesus already? And then there's more coming as he sends him back again. If expectation or assurance is maybe out of your mind or seem out of reach, or maybe you just feel so tired, you just can't seem to grasp a hold of it, there's a really simple play for today. Ask the good father who's already showed his love to you to help you again. Then God, will you give me fresh perspective in my expectation? I expect food. I expect a bowl game. I expect New Year's. I expect to fight with someone in my family. Will you help me expect you? Give me the faith to grow my assurance right now because I just don't have it. You, you know, one of the simple words that have been real to me lately is King David, who is just a hot mess at times. Give me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit. I don't have assurance or expectation, God. We help me? Here's the beauty of the child king who came. He doesn't just have all the power. He also is kind, and he loves to be gentle with the weary and busted up. Those who don't think don't make it to the end, or maybe they just realize, I just got distracted again. He's the king who came for you. Here's the beauty. And then he doesn't destroy you when you come to him again and go, can I have some more help? Can I have some more grace and mercy? He loves to comfort his sons and daughters. He loves to comfort those who are strong and crushing it and those who fell on their face again. This is the beauty of the Savior King who came to die. He's acquainted with grief. If you're grieving, you can come to him and he'll meet you. The simple hope for today is that the Lord would stir in you and I a form of confident assurance. Daddy's coming. Have fun. Enjoy your presence. We don't want to, there's this like uh, conspiracy against Christmas. It's like humbug, hate it. No, have fun. Just remember Jesus is a part of it and what he gives to you. You see with fresh eyes that God has already done something beautiful and there's more coming for you. May you have a renewed sense of expectation. May you feel deep and actual joy, even at a time when maybe your emotions feel muted out because God is good and he'll finish what he started and he didn't leave you. Can you imagine the sense I talked about Asher and the daddy's coming, daddy's coming. Can you imagine the reality of, of walking into a kid who really actually thought that their dad was never coming? That's not you. That's not me. That's the beautiful thing that we get to lay a hold of. One day, lay a hold of the joy you can now. The skies will split. Christ will come. You'll say, Abba, as your good dad comes. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God in the highest, and all of it will be put back together. This is the really great news that we get to gather around. I pray that you and I grab a hold of it. We don't want to try and stir fake joy or fake things out of each other. Just slow down for a couple moments. Pray, God, will you just show me the reality of what you've done? Show it to me appropriately. Let me walk in light of it. Band, you guys can come back up. We'll take communion like we always do. But 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 says this, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, here's the reality. Around Christmas, we're proclaiming the, the reality that he came, but the reality that he came is always tied to the reality that he died as well and that he was resurrected, that he came and paid the price for the sin that we have committed. So as we get ready to sing some other songs and go do our Christmas activities, we come to the table and remember it was your broken body and your blood that accomplishes it all. I can't do it, I can't fix it, I can't do any of it, but you came for me and loved me and you take again. If you've had a great week, God, thank you for what you've done and you just remember it's you and only you. And if you come busted up, I need a fresh view that it was you and not me and I've been distracted, help me and thank you for holding on to me, even though things were just a mess this week and you come and you take. I pray that your heart would be stirred in that. For us, if you haven't taken communion uh, with us before or, or newer with us, it's the continual remembrance. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you remember what the, the Lord's death until he comes. We're stirring remembrance in our heart as a body together going, it's all you and it always has been. We'll hold that till the end. And then we sing. So we'll play a couple songs at any moment. You can come up and, and, and take with us today. You don't have to be uh, a member here to come and take or anything like that. We just ask that uh, your faith be in Christ if you're going to come and take. The table is open to all who would believe. We pray that your heart would be stirred for the reality of what God has done, that he would be made much of. And you go celebrate and have a good night tonight and have a good day tomorrow remembering the joy of what God has done. The hope is that it wouldn't be forced you sit back in at least one moment and go, man, that's a good thing that you've done. Man, that's good. I get to see part of it now and it's gonna be awesome when we get to see the whole part of it. Will you stand and you pray with me?